This week on Daiwa, we're discussing Pocahontas County. An old woman is found after a house fire, but the autopsy reveals she had been beaten and stabbed before the fire started. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth Lavallee and Allie Tulin. All right, Beth, we're in Pocahontas County this week, and yes, it is named after the real Pocahontas, and if you don't know who that is, get a history book, but also <laughs> watch the Disney movie. <laughs> but have you been? Before I answer that, have you painted with all the colors of the wind lately? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I have... To be expected. I feel like it would be similar to forest bathing or like tree bathing. Have you heard of that? When you're just like in nature and soaking it up? Yes. Have you nature bathed lately? I have not, but I am going to like ski in Virginia this weekend. So maybe it's coming up. Oh my god. (laughs) Unrelated, I'm going skiing this weekend. Stop. No shit. That's weird. I've never been skiing before. Oh my god, just no pizza, french fries. Like, everyone I'm going with has also, like, not skied a lot. Wild. Fun times. But Pocahontas County. Okay, so, no, I, wait, oh my god, rewind. (laughs) Yes, I've been to Pocahontas County. I have family around that county, I'll say. I'm not actually sure if anyone specifically lives there, but I've definitely been there. Okay, cool. Me too. We can cross this one off, finally. I feel like this is the first in a while. (laughs) That we've both been to? Yeah. For sure. Uh, My fun fact about Pocahontas County is there's actually a huge statue of Pocahontas in Pocahontas, Iowa. And it's... Love it. It's like a similar style to the Albert the Bull statue in Audubon County. It's 25 feet tall. And definitely a must-stop on your way to, like, Okaboji. But another fun fact is that there's, like, other cities and townships all over the county also named in relation to Pocahontas. So you have Rolf, like, John Rolf, Pocahontas' husband. (laughs) And you have Powhatan Township. And I did find out that the county name was suggested by Iowa Senator John Howell of Jefferson County. But no reason was given why. So he just really loved or admired the Pocahontas story. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't? Well, my fun fact is a little bit darker. So serial killer Robert Christian Hansen, also known as the Butcher Baker. Do you know him? I had, I've listened to a podcast about him, yeah. So he grew up in Pocahontas. His parents owned a local bakery called Pocahontas Home Bakery, And Hansen is known for targeting sex workers and exotic dancers throughout the 70s and 80s. He abducted these women, turned them loose in the woods, and then hunted them like animals. Pretty gross. It is. Have you ever seen the movie The Most Dangerous Game? I have not, but I looked it up and Liam, what's his face, isn't it? Liam Miley's husband? Are you thinking of an older version? I'm thinking of like a 1920s or 30s version. (laughs) But but it was a... must have made a remake of it. It was a book... And I think we read it in, like, eighth grade, which, dark read for eighth graders, but it's similar. It's just about hunting humans for fun. Yeah, I've definitely heard of it, and honestly, I should probably give it a read. Sounds fun. <laughs> Up your alley. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, but he w- he was painfully shy, this serial killer, Hanson, Butcher Baker. Mm-hmm. 
going back to him. Painfully shy, had a stutter and terrible acne, so he was made fun of a lot and girls weren't really interested in him. He served a year in the Army Reserve and became an assistant drill instructor in Pocahontas. And then he married a young woman, but that didn't last long. Hansen still felt abused by the community and decided to burn down a school bus garage in 1960 when he was 21 years old. A young bakery employee that he had convinced to help him eventually confessed. This led to Hansen's arrest and for his wife to divorce him. Hansen did marry again, but he left the community for Anchorage, Alaska when he started his dangerous games. And in total, he murdered at least 17 women and was arrested and convicted in 1983 an insane story the beginnings sound like a story of like an incel that you hear nowadays like before it was really a thing but then he married a few times so confused (laughs) yeah i'm still a little lost on the incel community i'm not gonna lie i don't i don't i think we bring it up with taps i think we should see what he knows i also feel like it's a new thing though and maybe he won't know a lot (laughs) maybe he'll have no idea i don't know (laughs) No, I think it's good to ask. Okay. Um, so let's get to our murder. And a warning, this one is a cold case. The year is 1981. Former Hollywood actor in one-time Iowan, like when he hosted a radio show in Des Moines, Ronald Reagan is sworn in as the 40th president of the United States. Adam Walsh is kidnapped from a Sears store in Hollywood, Florida. Adam Walsh is the story that eventually turns into the hit movie Adam. And the MTV channel is launched in 1981. And finally, the artist Pitbull is born. And that's just for Allie. I appreciate it. I know Beyonce, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and Alicia Keys were all born the same year. But I'm so thankful we went with Pitbull. (laughs) Big year for singers. Huge year, I know. But anyways, we're in Rolf, Iowa. And it's Tuesday, March 31st. A little after 4.30 a.m., firemen answer a call for a house fire on the outskirts of town. The house belonged to an older widower named Mammy Syme, and the firemen find the house fully engulfed in flames. After recovering Mammy's body, the Pocahontas County Medical Examiner, Dr. John Rhodes Jr., pronounced her dead at the scene. Mammy was 74 and had lived alone in the house since her husband, Telmer, passed away in 1973. Here's some background on Mammy. She was born Mammy Peterson on June 9, 1906 in Roland, Iowa, which is in Story County. Her parents were Norwegian immigrants. She had two siblings, a brother named Obed and a sister named Pearl. Mammy taught kindergarten in McCallsburg and Sway City. Mammy married Telmer Syme and moved to Rolfe, Iowa. Her and Telmer had two sons who died shortly after birth, so they decided to adopt. They raised their daughter, Judy, and operated a meat locker in Rolfe for many years. According to Iowa cold cases, Mammy was active in her community, served on a parish board, and doted on her grandson, Tony. She also loved coffee and had it several times a day with her sister and next-door neighbor, Pearl. It's reported that Mammy was 5'2 and looks like a gorgeous typical grandma with big white curly hair and big glasses. In the papers days after the fire, the county attorney, Dale Huff, said investigators were conducting interviews to try to figure out what happened to Mammy. However, he declined to comment on whether robbery was a motive. Many items in her home were damaged, so it was hard to determine what was missing. And Mammy's now-married daughter, Judy Lannis, 
who still lived in Rolf, expressed her doubts that her mother was robbed. She said, quote, she had all of her rings on when they found her, and anyone could tell they were valuable. Also, fire officials couldn't say what exactly caused the fire, but they did say there were indications that it was deliberately set. Relatives said Mammy had returned home after midnight from a bridge game with friends across the road from her house, which must have been a really good game. <laughs> she was found dressed in her nightclothes and in the second floor hallway near a bathroom. And that's all we hear about the case from the big papers at the time. However, the local paper in Rolf, called the Rolf Arrow, frequently featured an ad on their front page with the number of days that had passed since Mammy's murder. The next time we hear about Mammy's case, again in the bigger papers, is seven years later. It's July of 1988, and there's a story how Mammy's body was exhumed, and authorities said they were optimistic about making an arrest. However, officials said nothing about what led to the request for a second autopsy on the body. There was also a news release from the three key players, Sheriff Richard Jurgens, County Attorney James Hudson, and Medical Examiner John Rhodes Jr. It said, quote, New leads in forensic tests prompted a second autopsy. The autopsy after the slaying had determined Mammy had been stabbed to death in her home just before her house was set on fire. Also, according to Iowa cold cases, she had been raped as well. Mammy's sister, Pearl Belfelt, said, What in the world can be gained from this? I can't imagine. But if there's something to be gained, I'll certainly be glad. So one theory floating around was that Mammy was murdered by burglars who were surprised by her return and who then set the house afire in an attempt to cover up the crime. However, no valuables were missing from the home. Mammy's daughter and son-in-law, Jim Lannis, and their son and her grandson, Tony, all took and passed polygraph tests during the investigation. Jim Lannis said a year after the murder, he was afraid that suspicions about him and his family would linger until the crime was solved. The Lannises lived near Mammy's home, and Judy had inherited her estate of over $400,000. A year after the murder, the Pocahontas County Sheriff at the time, Don Shasso, estimated more than 5,000 hours had been devoted to investigating Mammy's murder. When the DCI established a cold case unit in 2009, Mammy Sam's murder was one of the cases listed that the DCI hoped to solve using the latest advancements in DNA technology. If you have any information about Mammy Sam's murder, please contact the FBI or the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation. Mammy's funeral was held on Friday, April 3rd of 1981 at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Rolfe. The church was filled to capacity with over 200 attendees, and she was survived by her daughter Judy, grandson Tony, and her sister Pearl. Pearl ended up dying in 1994. She and her husband, Cecil Belfeld, tried to keep Mammy's memory alive and asked law enforcement for answers in her murder until their deaths. Mammy's daughter, Judy, divorced Jim Lannis and remarried. Unfortunately, she passed away at the age of just 55 after a sudden illness in 1998. She's also buried in the Clinton Garfield Cemetery with Mammy and Telmer. Jim Lannis also passed away in 2004. So a lot of unknown information in this one, so let's go ahead and give Taps a call. Sounds like a plan. Hey, Taps, thanks for joining. Hello. 
This week we are in Pocahontas County talking about the cold case of Mammy Syme. Have you been to Pocahontas County? I have been to Pocahontas County, although not a lot. So have you been to the statue? I, I, I've seen the statue and, you know, it's close enough to Fort Dodge that you can drive through it if you're up in that part of the state. No other fun facts? No, not really. It's pretty rural. The, the two high schools, Palmeroy and Palmer, and I think Palmer is actually not in Pocahontas County. I think Pomeroy is, but they used to have good basketball teams. Good to know. Okay, let's talk about incels. What are your thoughts on them as a, a, a movement? And then if you think this serial killer was an incel? Well, I think incel as a movement is a very loosely associated bunch of people. And I assume the, the internet has given them some I don't want to say credibility, but at least some ability to organize a little bit. I think the Southern Poverty Law Institute tracks them as kind of a real weird misogynistic uh, group. But as far as incel, as far as people that are very anti-women, very homicidal against women, things like that, I think that's more of a psychosis than a movement. So you're not buying Beth and I's theory that Robert Christian Hansen, the butcher baker, was an early incel. I mean, I, I can't understand how he would connect with anybody else. I don't think he's any different than many of the other serial killers, and especially the ones that preyed on prostitutes or women that were easily dismissed by the rest of society. Okay. I mean, think of Green River and a couple of the other big mass murderers kind of the same, had the same mantra. My thinking is that it's that he was made fun of for being ugly early on in life. And so that's where I was going with that. And women didn't like him. Well, I mean, I, I don't have near the expertise in psychology or psychiatry to make a, a judgment, but I just, I believe that there are lots of different reasons that men prey on women, whether it's from upbringing, from sexual abuse, from some kind of antisocial personality traits, all kinds of different things. But again, you look at homicides like the Green River and, and people like that, they were just, um, even look at Bundy. I mean, Bundy was a, a kind of an antisocial personality that just thought he was smarter than everybody else and that women instantly loved him and things of that nature. So have you seen any like anecdotal spike in violence against women where like the the person credits being an incel? No. Mm -mm. Oh, and most of them have just been kind of lone actors that I'm working on one right now that's about 40 years old where he was just a serial rapist and then killed in the case that I'm looking at right now as a result of that rape, you know, as part of that rape. But he had been committing violence against women all of his life and spent most of his life in penitentiaries and prisons for rape or sexual assault kinds of cases. Gotcha. I've just noticed, I'm not an expert in this at all, but it seems like this incel crowd is sometimes like proud of being an incel, which is confusing to me. Don't you think that the internet has kind of and social media has kind of raised that to a new level. I mean, I think people that used to be just thought a certain way or whatever, now they, they find people on the internet or in social media that think somewhat like they do. And so all of a sudden it becomes kind of a movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
completely agree. With this case, Mammy's house was lit on fire after they murdered her. We know you have some experience with fire departments. Can you say your experience? And then we're wondering how you determine if a fire was purposefully set. Well, I've done some arson stuff and I've done, I've worked some homicides that were where there were burns or, or arson related deaths. Arson fire is, is used frequently for people to try to camouflage a crime, whether it be burglary or murder or some other crime. Um, because anecdotally, people believe that it covers up all the evidence and, and it does do a, a number on your crime scene because, you know, many things are burned up and evidence is lost. But a good arson investigator, somebody with a lot of arson experience can try to recreate things uh, based on flammable liquids that are used, based on burn patterns inside the residence, things of that nature. And again, skeletons mainly survive fires. And so usually do have a body that you can do some forensics with and things like that. Gross question, but do you have any idea how long it would take for a body to burn before it's like completely gone? I think it's more of a product of the temperature of the fire than it would be the length of the burn. I mean, even when people are incinerated in very high hot ovens, cremated, there's, they still have to crush part of the bones and stuff down to make it smaller. So, I mean, bones survive pretty high fire, but if, if the temperature was extremely hot, I assume at some point they would begin to disintegrate. What are the typical signs though that it is arson? Well, every fire has to have an origin. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing you look for is what, what is the origin of a fire? So if there's no lightning storm, there's no electric, electrical outlets or connections, appliances, where the fire started. You usually tell the fire where the fire started by the burn pattern and by the destruction of the burn. If there's nothing there to have started it, something had to start it. So then you start looking for arson clues and you can use, there are arson dogs that can smell flammable. You can sometimes see flammable patterns of burns on concrete or flooring that will show you where flammable liquids spread out, those kinds of things. So you start narrowing it down and I am no way an expert in it, but there are people that are very good at it. What do you have to do to re-exhume a body for a second autopsy? A lot of it would depend on the family and next kin of the person. Um, I'm sure there are some cases where families consent to it because they believe something bad happened and, and nothing's been done of it or nothing's been investigated. If there were competing family members that were both opposed and for the exhuming of the body, then you'd probably end up in court and, and a judge or would probably make that decision on whether it was required or, or needed to be done because of the possibility of foul play. So suspects were never named in this case, but the family did polygraph tests. Why do you think that is? And the polygraph is probably used to either... Uh, to exclude people that might be involved. Polygraphs are not accurate completely. A good polygraph operator is, is as good of an interrogator as he is a polygraph operator and can usually gather some kind of confession out of the polygraph episode. But a lot of times polygraphs are just used to exclude people to say, yeah, this person wasn't involved. Have you ever taken a polygraph test? 
Yes, I have. And um, they're interesting, to say the least. Most employment, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, most law enforcement employment required it. And now I believe if you have a security clearance at the top secret level or above, the federal government requires those people to be periodically polygraphed for their clearance updates. So yeah, there's still a lot of being done. Did you pass and what was the hardest question? Well, I mean, I guess I passed because I got hired, but I mean, they're all hard questions because you're trying to re-examine your whole life to what all the things you did wrong or might've done wrong or whatever, so. And, and that's the kind of question they're asking, like, have you ever done drugs? Yeah, what you'll do, is, what occurs is that you fill out a pre-polygraph questionnaire and they will ask you all those questions. It gives the polygraph examiner a roadmap as to kind of where they want to go with this person. And then once you get into the actual polygraph, there'll be some test questions where they will look at the, the way you react to those questions. And then they will actually ask you a series of questions based on what you put in the questionnaire and based on what you're being polygraphed about. Hmm. Cool. What would the best way to solve Mammy's case now be? DNA probably uh, would be the best. And I would be, it would be hard, difficult, I think, uh, with a body being buried for a long period of time to recover good DNA, but you might be able to get some mitochondrial or some, some small samples that you might be able to work off of. Any final thoughts on this one? No, I mean, um, the tragedy of this murder is like the tragedy of many where women are victimized. Um, if it was a man, it would be tragedy because there are so many of those kinds of homicides. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next time. Okay. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.